Are you one of those people that finds it hard to say no? Pastor Ed Taylor says it's important to say no at times. Listen, when you say yes, and this is an important, this is an important truth, when you say yes to following Jesus Christ, on the flip side of that coin is a lot of no's. Now, unfortunately, in some churches, all the no's get emphasized. No, no, you just emphasize, I choose to follow Jesus. And along the path, with the temptations that come your way, you will learn to say no. Do you know one of the most powerful words in your vocabulary is the word no. It will save you from so much grief in this world. This is amazing grace. Hey, thanks for rounding out the week with us here at Abounding Grace. We've been in Hebrews chapter 11 for quite some time, and we'll be there once again today looking at the faith of Moses. Pastor Ed Taylor's message is titled, By Faith, Moses Chose the Eternal. And with a lot of ground to cover, let's get right to it. Take your Bibles, open them to two places. Hebrews chapter 11, where we'll pick up in verse 24. Hebrews chapter 11 and Jeremiah chapter 18. Hebrews 11, Jeremiah 18. In our verse-by-verse study in the book of Hebrews, we are in the hall of faith. And today's message I've entitled, By Faith, Moses Chose the Eternal. By Faith, Moses Chose the Eternal. Notice with me Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So mark that word refused. It's an important beginning in our study today. He refused. Something was offered to him and he refused it straight up. Verse 25, choosing, so mark that word, refusing and choosing, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And then here's the third word I want you to mark esteeming, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So we have refused, choosing, and esteeming. Now we're studying the life of Moses because we're in this section in Hebrews chapter 11. This is the journey that we're on, looking at what's known as the hall of faith. Not the hall of failure, but the hall of faith. It's so encouraging to us. Men and women, just like you and me, growing by faith. Now, they're just like you and me, but also they're not like you and me because they had far less, they had far less than what we have today. They were living under what's known as the old covenant. They were living under the system of Judaism. Now, up to this point that all that we've been studying have been living in a place of a different covenant with God. They had a different arrangement in their relationship with God. We now, on this side of the cross, we live in what's known as the new covenant. 
And we live with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. We have the completed Bible so that we have it in writing, God's character and his nature and what's required of us, what God is doing in us. And they made it into the hall of faith, not for their failures, but for their faith. And because they made it in, we too will make it in. And I I love Moses here because Moses, Moses' life was covered in faith even before he was born. At conception, he was conceived in a faith-filled family, challenged beyond measure. His family, slaves in every sense of that word in Egypt. No longer do they have their, their relationship with, through Joseph and the success of generations, but there arose a Pharaoh that forgot all about Joseph, didn't know him, and he oppressed the nation of Israel. He, he oppressed the children of God and made them slaves and built cities in Egypt through them. All that they accomplished, all that they had, all the things that were given to them were taken away from them. They now have nothing. And their relationship is to do what they're told, working day and night to build and to work for Pharaoh. But Moses, he was born into a family of faith. Despite what they faced, they were still people of faith. I mean, you you think of Moses' life. His life started out with a death threat in the womb. There was a death threat from the government in the womb that said, any male babies, when they're born and you determine they're a male, kill them. Don't let them live. And when that didn't work, he, Pharaoh then said, throw all the male babies into the river. I don't want them here. And yet, you have the faith of the midwives that said, no way. Baby boy, we're not going to give them to Egypt. And didn't we learn that, parents? We're learning that in these successive studies. Our kids are not going to be given to Egypt. We're not giving our kids away. We're not just going to let them flail through life and try to make it. We're not going to let this culture and world system corrupt the kids. We're going to teach them and disciple them and pour into them the love, the mercy, the grace, the truth, the Word of God into their hearts. We're going to pour into them and teach them about God and about the love of God. So you have the midwives. Then you have the parents that once the baby was born, they're like, you know, we got to hide him. So they made that little basket, covered it in pitch, and put Moses out into the water in the reed, reed area of the Nile River, and then waited to see what God might do. Remember that when you're reading the Bible, everybody is, is experiencing this in real time. So we know the whole story. We know beginning to end. We can read through the book of Exodus. We know what happened in Moses' life. But at the time it happened, Moses, well, of course he's a baby, but Moses, his parents, his sister, the midwives, they don't know what's going to happen. They're just living it out. And so if you can imagine just putting your baby into a basket and putting him into the reeds, hiding him and keeping him out and not being able to be like that, it was a hard life, challenging, separated so early living in fear and anxiety. Well, you know, as we looked last time, Pharaoh and and those that served her went out to the Nile. They, They found the basket, saw there was a baby in there, and it says Pharaoh's daughter had compassion. Isn't that great? It's so encouraging to me that God had already built into this girl a compassionate heart. 
She doesn't know the one true God. She doesn't care about the one true God. She lives in the lap of luxury. Everything a girl would ever want, she has. But God had made her. And she doesn't know yet that God put eternity into her heart. She doesn't know yet of anything that is still yet to be learned. And yet, when she found out that was a Hebrew baby, and that Hebrew baby was a boy, she decides to save his life. And there are just, there are people in this world that although they're not born again, God has touched their hearts. And God has put into them character. God has given them, or at least the, they, they have been raised in such a way where they're moral and they're right there. Now, never forget, morality doesn't save a person, but morality is a good thing. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with good people. But good people still need to be saved. And so here's Pharaoh's daughter. No, we're, we're not going to get rid of this baby. We're gonna, I'm going to take care of her. And then what happens? All of a sudden, Moses' sister shows up. Do you need somebody? Do you need somebody to take care of this baby? I can find somebody. Yes, please find somebody. So what does she do? She goes home to mom. Hey, mom, you wouldn't believe it. This is how it all went down. And Pharaoh's daughter needs somebody to take. And she said, you can do it. I can go find. And so she brings Moses' mom to take care of him till about the age where he was weaned, which would be about five years old. And you find at the age of five, for the next 35 years, once he was weaned, his mom had to give him up. He lived in the palace and he lived in Egypt for the next 35 years. So let me ask you this. Is five years of training enough to protect a guy for the next 35 years? Yeah, it is. Any kind of seeds you plant in your kids, whenever you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. Now, you, you may not see the harvest. You may not see what the seeds are planted, but parents, you need to understand that the formative years of your kids are vital. They aren't to be neglected or ignored. Now, of course, if you look back and go, well, the formative years of my kids are already over. No, you can start at any time to pour into your kids, whatever their age, the truths of God's word. You are the example. Kids learn more by what's caught than what's taught. And so the choice begins with us. But you look at Moses' life and you think, maybe in your own life, you'll look at the circumstances and just wonder, what, what is going on in my life? Is there any rhyme or reason to it all? You've you got to put yourself in, in Moses' parents' life, like all that they're facing, stepping back and just thinking, what is going on in my life? We just want to raise a family. It's hard enough. It's hard enough in Egypt. It's hard enough losing everything. It's hard enough working 12, 14, 16, 18-hour days. It's hard enough to have taskmasters over us. It's hard enough to get more work and make it harder and have everyone turn against me. And now they're going to take my kid? And now I'm not going to see my son grow up? And it's on. And you think, what is going on? Well, let me give you insight behind the scenes of what God is doing. Would you turn over to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah the prophet was given a specific instruction to go down to the potter's house because God wanted to show him how things work behind the scenes. Of course, Jeremiah is a prophet. He has a message for the nation of Israel, but, but through this message, he also has an application for us that God is working behind the scenes. That even if we can't figure out 
the rhyme or reason of our lives. We don't know exactly what God's doing now and exactly what's happening here. We know that God is working things out. So notice in verse 1 of Jeremiah chapter 18. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I'll cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. So here's the picture. This is a very familiar picture. We've even had potters on the stage giving us this illustration in real time for us, where you could see with your own eyes. But here is the illustration. The potter represents God and his sovereign purposes. The wheel that's spinning represents life, represents the ups and downs of life, the circumstances of life. Don't, haven't you found over time that the circumstances of life can be very dizzying, where the wheel's faster, 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 you guys slow down, slow down, but circumstances don't slow down like that. The wheel is in the control of the potter. And then that leaves you and me. Where do we fit in? Well, you are the lump of clay. That's what you are. We are big lumps. Except that we're valuable in the hands of the potter. And God is doing something. Notice it says in verse 3, that potter was making something. God is making something in your life. He is making something of you. You are in process. You are in process. You may not like where you're at. You may not appreciate what God is making, but you're in process. Not only that, notice there are times as God is making, verse 4, that the vessel he made of clay was marred. Circle that word marred right next to it, ruined. That Hebrew word can mean ruined. He was making something, and as he was making it, it's ruined. You, you walk in here today, you turn on your, your iPad, you're watching us online right now, you're flipping through the radio, and here you are listening to my voice, and, and you're thinking, my life is ruined. And that's how you walked in. My life is ruined. You look at the sum total of where you are today, the mistakes that you made, the things that might have been done to you, the bottom falls out economically, you know, financially, you can't make the bills, you were laid off, you, your spouse left you, you, you have made a mistake you don't think you're going to recover from, and here you are, I'm ruined. Listen, as you're focusing on the ruinous debris of your life today, you have to remember that the sentence doesn't end there. The Bible says that the clay was marred in the hand of the potter. You're in the hand of the potter. And you're right, things didn't work out the way you thought they were. You're at this stage of life and you're like, you know, I thought things would be different by now. And I regret that decision. And now I've got this grief, and I've got this tension, I've got this difficulty, and I've got, and it's just ruined. I don't know what's going to, I don't know what's going to happen in my life. I don't know what's going to come out of this. I don't think anything's going to, I give up. I quit. No, 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 no. You've been marred, but you're in the potter's hands. He hasn't let go. Like, like you are safe and secure by faith in Jesus. You're in the potter's hands. Not only that, notice, as the potter notices the ruins of your life, it says that he made it again into another vessel. 
And isn't that true? Like, that, that just seems like life. You go from glory to glory, strength to strength. You go from one stage to another stage, and you, you, it seems like you take 10 steps forward, five steps back, and you're just going boom, boom, back and forth, back and forth. But the potter is making something. He is making something out of your life. And here's the thing. After a ruinous situation, you've got to submit to the last part of verse 4. You've got to understand that what God is making, what He is doing, what He's restoring is as it seems good to the potter to make. (laughs) It's good to the potter. It's good to the potter. God is working in in you and in me for His good. Not necessarily everything that we want. And that's where we get super frustrated. I want this, I want this, I want this. And yet God's working in you what seems good to Him. Church, you were bought with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. You are owned by God. He's the overseer, the responsible party over your life. He knows what He's doing in your life. He knows what He's doing with the decisions, good and bad. He knows how to work things together. He knows that even if you were born into this family and you faced this difficulty and your parents did this and your friends did that and they turned on you and they posted this and you went through this and you're sad and you're hurting and I can't believe it all, you're in the potter's hands. And he's making you and me again into something that seems good to him. He wants to use us for his glory, his purposes, not our own. God is the creator. He's the sustainer of life. It starts with him, it ends with him, and everything in between is his. In Acts chapter 17, jot it down in verse 28, it says, For in him we live, we move, we have our being. And though this can be a little scary as the wheel spins and wheel spins and wheel spins, it could be a little scary if you didn't know the character and nature of God. The God that transcends human government. The God that transcends human decisions the God that transcends the economy, the God that transcends politics. He's the creator, and and we have nothing to be afraid of when we are in the potter's hands. You can trust him, and you can yield to him. Wisdom from above, James teaches us, includes a willingness to yield. And come back in Hebrews 11, because now in Moses' life, we see it lived out in an episode in his life. It's glorious to know that God has us on a journey, just like Moses. Moses is on the same journey. He's learning how the pieces of his life are going to fit together in the panorama, sovereign will of God. His parents launch him off as a baby on a river. Then he's saved. Then he's rescued. Then he's raised by his own mom in Pharaoh's house. Probably cared for until about five, spent the next 35 years in Pharaoh's court. But I can only imagine the conversations that mom had with her son, talking about creator God, talking about Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, teaching him about Noah, teaching about Abraham, Isaac, talking about a land, talking about a promise, talking about a savior, talking about being rescued. God is faithful. It's hard right now, but God is faithful. It's hard right now, but God loves you. It's hard right now, but he promised a savior. And I wonder if in those formative years in Moses' life that that, that 
seed planted about a Savior did not take root in his heart, and he sensed in his life, I think I might be the deliverer. Maybe God will use me that way. And there he is in Pharaoh's court, being schooled in all the wisdom and all the opulence, all the luxury, all the education, not unlike Daniel, not unlike Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, learning the world and yet staying loyal to God. And it's possible to navigate in the world and stay loyal to God. You don't have to choose between the two. You can choose God and he'll enable you to be able to navigate in this world where he wants you. Now notice Moses He comes of age. He comes of age and he receives an offer. The offer is, you can have all of Egypt. (laughs) What an offer. Now Josephus, the Roman historian, tells us that this particular pharaoh did not have a male heir. And that Moses was being prepared and prepped to be the heir and to take over Egypt. So this offer of Egypt wasn't a little portion. It wasn't a little bit of gold. It wasn't a little bit of silver. It wasn't like a little. He was being prepped to take over as the next Pharaoh. That's what's being offered to him. To to be in the lineage as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. And the first step in his mind was he refused it. I know what you're offering and I don't want it. Where did he get Where did he get the the ability and the tenacity to refuse such an offer? Well, no doubt those foundational years in his life strengthened him and taught him to choose God over and above the things of this world. It seems, as a parent, it seems impossible. I mean, truly, it seems impossible. The way the world's going is like, I don't know. I mean, there are people right now thinking, I don't think I want to bring a child into this world because I don't know how I'm going to be able to raise them. Listen, God will enable you to raise them. You trust God with your kids. You trust God. You worship God. You trust God with your kids. He'll take care of them. He'll be with them. He'll help them, especially when they launch off and they're no longer under your care. God will take care of your kids. You just pour into them and be faithful as a parent or as a grandparent, or as a great-grandparent, or as an aunt or an uncle, with your nieces, your nephews. The influence you have on kids, be faithful to pour into them in those foundational years. As he grows up around luxury and opulence, all that a man could want, he said no. The first thing he does is he refuses. Listen, when you say yes and this is, an important, this is an important truth. When you say yes to following Jesus Christ, on the flip side of that coin is a lot of no's. Now, unfortunately, in some churches, all the no's get emphasized. No, no, you just emphasize, I choose to follow Jesus. And along the path, with the temptations that come your way, you will learn to say no. Do you know one of the most powerful words in your vocabulary is the word no. It will save you from so much grief in this world. It will save you from so much pain in this world if you learn to use strategically the word no and you choose to follow in Moses' footstep and say, I refuse that. I don't want it. I won't take it. We're going through Hebrews one verse at a time here on Abounding Grace. 
Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at EdTaylor.org. We also have a podcast. Look for us on Apple Podcasts. And thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to the ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, you're invited to request a copy of A.W. Tozer's devotional masterpiece, The Pursuit of God. In it, Tozer seeks to make his readers thirsty for intimacy with the Lord, and it will leave you inspired to seek God more passionately and intimately. You can start your pursuit today by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you'd just like to make a donation to the ministry and are not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We hope you'll join us for a service here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. You have a few options. Come on by Saturdays at 6 p.m. or Sundays at 8.45 or 10.45 in the morning. Study the Word in the middle of the week, too, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. You can also live stream at calvaryco.church. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through Hebrews next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.